Welcome to Side Effects with an A. When effect is normally used, it's a noun. It's already occurred. Effect is a verb meaning action. Action influences outcomes. I'm Scott McGowan. And I'm Anne Marie Singleton. We will provoke you to think differently. Side Effects, where problems are defined, solutions exposed. Welcome to Side Effects. I'm Scott McGowan. And I'm Anne Marie Singleton. How are you, Anne? Doing well today. Doing well. So, what's going on in your life? Well, summertime and um, supposed to be less busy, but I think it's more busy because it's not structured. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, every Kids day, out of school. Out of school. Two 14 year olds home all day, all, all day by themselves, but um, going into high school in a couple of, of, well, not even a couple of months. It's like a couple of weeks now. And um, Ugh. You remember that when you went to school like the last two weeks? Oh, it's, it's you just try to squeeze every second out of it that you can. So oh. they won't go to bed at night. They stay up late. Um, and then they, they don't get up till noon. And I guess that's what you do when you're a teenager. But I wanted to tell you this. So I sent them off to summer camp. They both went to two different camps last week um, over at IU, great place in Bloomington. And we had to go to the store to buy all these little miniature travel things for summer camp. You know, just charge you an arm and a leg for like a point zero zero two of shampoo. Anyway, I bought all this stuff and I went in there. Which they probably didn't use. Uh, oh, no. I'm sure they lost okay. it the first day. It doesn't matter. They came home smelling fabulous. Um, the socks. That's another podcast. But what I want to say is all the back to school stuff is out. I mean, it just gives me shivers, right? Like all of the notepads and the glue and the pencils. I mean, it's out. It's in full force. And that's always a reminder of two things for me. One is the kids are going back to school and summer's ending. Just a little bittersweet. And two is it's fall coming. And that means a majority of our employers are preparing for open enrollment. And this is a big, big, busy time for most HR professionals right now. Yeah, you know, it's funny. In this business, for decades... There was like a lull around this period of time, you know, summer, things weren't that urgent. And obviously with the Affordable Care Act, all the compliance issues and really employers really getting behind strategic thinking. Right. It's just not a rate. It's disease mitigation. It's a lot of other aspects that um, this is something that we just go through annually every month, all the time at full capacity. Absolutely. And it's just, you know, it's open enrollments, not just... Well, let's, you know, let's just make these small tweaks to our plan and let's just dust off our communication from last year and, you know, it'll all be fine. It, it really is every month having to talk about something. And there's so much to do in preparation for cost control and ACA and communication to the employees because it's different that you can't wait until a couple of weeks before your plan has to be rolled out. It has to be done now. So this is a busy time. Yeah, I think employers are also a little more uh, understanding of the Affordable Care Act. There was a study that came out that said in 2014, 24% of employers said they would no longer offer health care a decade from now. That was two years ago. In 2016, those same employers were asked the question and 44% of them said we will offer health care. So you're starting to get a lot more traction, a lot more engagement from employers around performance metrics and how do we control this cost. And one of the things that we want to talk to you about, to our listeners, is about surcharges. Right. Which is not everyone's favorite subject. Right. And and when you call it surcharge, it sounds, it sounds pretty lousy. Some employers call it premium differential. Some of them call it an incentive. But the fact is... Hey, if you're paying it, 
It's a surcharge. It's a surcharge. <laughs> the right? Fact, right. No matter how you message it, yeah. it's something that costs you more for certain behaviors. Yeah. You know, and we, we pay a surcharge now for things that we utilize. So I drive an SUV. So technically, I pay a surcharge for fuel, right? I, I don't get charged more. I just consume more. Uh, and we do that in our lives. And I think what's important for our, our listeners to understand, especially those listeners that have really strong cultures in their organization, a lot of those employers, hey, we want to offer great benefits, we want to offer it at a reasonable price, and we want to offer the best health care. And, and we understand that. And I'm a going brave, and I hope we have the same attitude. But there's a lot of moving parts in, in health care, and there's a lot of other employers that are deploying these strategies. And if you're not either talking about them, addressing them, uh, or implementing those, the cost burden is going to roll back on your lap and right. you're going to pay a significant amount of money more. Right. So what we want to be sure of today is that you're thinking about these things, you're talking about them, and whether or not you do them is another story. But at least be aware of, of some of the surcharges that are taking place out there, the trends that are happening, and why it might be important for you. And so, you know, there are surcharges that take place in all sorts of industries, we just don't like to apply it to people's health status because it feels wrong. But if you think about it, if you if you own a vehicle, you have auto insurance. And if you have a teenage driver, you have auto insurance. And it's really expensive. If your car's red, it's probably more. If you've got a boy versus a girl, it, it might be more. So, I mean, the surcharges have been applied out there on a risk basis in other types of insurance for a long time. Which is the biggest one right now is probably uh, smoking surcharges. Right. So I smoked for um, 15 years. Uh, I haven't smoked in 13 years. That's great. But I'm addicted to Nicorette gum. I chew it every day. Right. Sometimes you offer me a piece. Yeah, I was absolutely. never a smoker, so I yeah. don't, I don't, I say no thank you every time. But I think what's important for our listeners to understand is you know, smoking cost employers, a smoker will incur on average $6,000 more annually than a non-smoker. And for the most part, most studies indicate that a lot of smokers will actually avoid health care. So they're right. normally detached from a primary care physician and normally detached from uh, wellness engagement strategies inside of a workforce. Yeah. And we talk a lot about, we use the word smoker, um, but there, there are a lot of studies about tobacco users in general. So smoking, we know that smoke goes into your lungs. Um, there are people that dip. There are people that chew. There's vape. Vapor cigarettes now, the whole e-cigarette market has cigars. Ex expanded. Oh, cigar smokers. So there's all sorts of tobacco use and really defining whether or not it's smoking or tobacco. Most employers, I think, have gone to the more general um, description of, of tobacco use. But um, one thing I saw this yesterday and I had to look away. That's um, why I'm not a doctor. But um, if I can find the link, I'll give it to Dave and he can put it up on healthierbirthdays.com. With caution, you can watch it. If you're squeamish, don't look at it. But it's a set of lungs that they hooked up to a, they're outside of a body. They're, they look like, this is gross, but they look like chicken. I mean, it's what it looks like. But they hooked it up to this machine and they smoked a whole pack of cigarettes with these lungs in this study. And then they cut open the lungs and showed what that, what that damage was. It was really quite frightening. Actually, um, I have that video on my phone. Do you? Okay. I do. And my daughter just had a, uh, we just had a grandson. She had her son. Uh, and she asked me to quit because of our grandson. And she actually sent me that link. Yeah. 
And um, did you see it? Do you know what I'm talking I about? I hot linked it to my phone. Yeah. So every time I wanted to have a cigar, um, it was like, hey. So I went from admitting I was a smoker, cigar smoker, to accepting it, and uh, it's been seven months now. It is. Uh, it's very interesting. That's awesome. But a lot of employers. So if you look at this, most uh, employers that implement tobacco surcharges. Uh, on average, that surcharge uh, is around $500 annually. Donna, who is running our podcast here, they're sitting right next to us, actually said as we were unpacking this, um, hey, I'm a non-smoker, and I actually appreciate the fact that there's a surcharge for tobacco users because I'm not. And why is that important? Is, is obviously if it's costing you $6,000 more a year, and, you know, smokers know. They know they're doing something. I mean, socially, decades ago, Mary Tyler Moore, smoking was kind of cool. <laughs> but today, socially, you'll see them in the butt hut. You'll see them, like, in a city. They'll see them, like, cornered off in the corner. And I get it. And I, and I have sympathy for them. I understand right. that. Well, and, you know, a, a, a surcharge, I mean, every employer wants something different when they decide they're going to draw a line in the sand, which is what happens when you implement a surcharge. And it, it's it's meant to do a couple of different things. It's either meant to change their behavior, which you know we know that smoking is is an addiction. It's very difficult to change with just a surcharge. Um, it's meant to cause a premium differential so that people who bring more risk to a plan share in that risk. Um, you know, and in some cases, if you got if you got someone running a, a plan that's that's a non-smoker, they may just want those smokers to feel more pain. Uh, but I really think it's really the first two. Most people want to give folks an opportunity to to quit, and they want to give them an incentive to do that. Sometimes this is the impetus to do it. But for the most part, a premium differential for a tobacco user is really meant to just share the risk. And and we do get a lot of um, comments, and I'll call them complaints and or thank yous from the non-smokers that say. Wow, that's really great. Like, I don't understand why I'm paying the same rate as my smoking counterpart. They're, you know, they're smoking uh, two packs a day, and I know that they're riskier. So it's just starting to balance it out. And what you said in the beginning is important because if you're not considering this and your neighbor next door is, so you got 100 employees, they've got 100 employees, and they've got a tobacco surcharge, those spouses are coming on your plan. Those folks are finding a way to get away from that tobacco surcharge, and you could be getting other folks to, to come into your plane. You're not even in, in the marketplace. Exactly. So you have no fence. And and the purpose of bringing all this up is to help employers understand that, I mean, you don't need to build walls around your plan, but you do need to build some fences around your plan. So for our listeners in the Midwest, 24% of employers offer some sort of smoker surcharge. The national average is $500 annually. The Midwest average is $400 uh, annually. Um, those employers that do offer a surcharge, 64% of them will go ahead and look at e-cigarettes and nicotine and pack that in there. What's interesting is, so how do I measure this? 82% of those employers go by the honor system, and only a small percentage of those employers actually test for that. One, it's expensive. It's labor-intensive. Um, but for the most part, a lot of employers will just ask for an affidavit. That's exactly what we do here at McGowan Braybender. Uh, in our organization, we have a uh, tobacco surcharge that includes e-cigarettes, Nicorette gum, uh, chewing tobacco, cigars, any form of nicotine in your bloodstream, would you would be uh, um, responsible for paying a surcharge. Yeah, and you know, it's 
we get this question often. I get it often when I'm out, out talking to clients and prospects is, how can we be sure? If we just have an affidavit, I mean, won't someone else, you know, won't, might they smoke and then still be on the plan? Yeah, they might. And you know what? They're probably doing something else that's not appropriate as well. But most people are going to be honest. The majority of people are going to answer honestly. You ask them a question. They sign an affidavit. They have to put their name on it. It's a lie if they, if they, if they lie and it, you can you know, use that for disciplinary purposes if they give you false information. Most people are going to tell you the truth. They're going to say, yep, I smoke. Um, and so testing, again, as Scott said, becomes very, very burdensome. It, it feels like us against them a little bit. It costs a lot of money. Some of the tests aren't very valid. You can do hair, you can do blood, you can do uh, mouth swab. And for the most part, you're going to get all your smokers, um, with a rare exception, tell you that they're using tobacco. So transitioning off of tobacco surcharge, the other surcharge that's probably at the top of the heap that a lot of especially large national employers are talking about is spousal surcharge. And what that means to our listeners is if you have a spouse that's working and is eligible for benefits on his or her plan, and you would accept the employer's plan, there would be a surcharge. Right. Now, there's, there's another strategy, which is actually a spousal exclusion. So if your spouse has access to other coverage through his or her employment, they're not allowed on their on on your plan. I would say that is probably the least likely scenario that we run up against, although we do have clients that have spousal exclusions. For the most part, what we're really curious about is just opening the eyes of employers around you've got to be intentional about implementing a spousal surcharge or at least talking about it globally with your workforce. Yeah, at least considering it. And so one quick comment on the spousal exclusion or the carve out um, ACA caused a lot of discussion around this when um, a few large employers across the country, uh, closest one to, to where we are here is the Kroger um, Union over in Indiana, did a spousal carve-out completely and not a working spouse carve-out, just a flat-out carve-out, meaning if you had a spouse, they couldn't be on the plan. And why they did that is because of the ACA and the guaranteed issue coverage now in the individual market. So just know that there there's a working spouse carve out there's a carve out in general but we're just talking about do you surcharge or upcharge someone for bringing their spouse on the plan when they have access to other coverage and the reason you would want to do that is because you just shift that risk back to that spouse's own employer so you you're trying to do the right thing ensure your population but if there's an opportunity to shed risk known or unknown back to the employer where that spouse works Here's how you would do it. Yeah, culturally, a lot of great organizations do so many other things besides offering rich benefits without surcharges. Because if, if, if you're an employer that doesn't offer a surcharge and mom and dad go home and sit at the kitchen table and talk about which plan design they're going to be on, um, you're not even going to be in a coin toss situation. And ultimately, that's what you want is almost the flip of the coin. And here's the reason for that. Nationally, big carriers, Anthem, United Healthcare, Medical Mutual, uh, Humana, Aetna, have a dependent ratio of about two. So for every employee on your, so if you had 100 employees, you've got mom, dad, and a bunch of other belly buttons on your plan. So the ratio is technically you have 100 employees, but you've got about 200 belly buttons that you're insuring. 
Uh, that's a national average. Employers that don't have a spousal surcharge might see that dependent ratio at two and a half, right. 2.4. That's very, very expensive. Right. Because not only would you possibly get that spouse, you're going to get the spouse and, and maybe the kids too. But if the spouse took their own plan, maybe the spouse would, would take the kids onto their plan. So looking at that dependent ratio and then looking at your cost, sometimes there's an explanation there as to why your cost is much more. You know, we in this part of the state of, of Ohio, we still see employers with 2.6, 2.7 um, employee to dependent ratio, because historically we've not had these surcharges. Yeah. So if I'm in HR and I'm listening to this, uh, and obviously I've got a key role inside of the organization, I would want to know what is the dependent ratio. You can call your broker, you can call the carrier, you can get that information. But strategically from a C-suite level, I can just tell you as a CEO, if CEOs and CFOs are looking at that, they're going to come and ask you the question. So make sure you understand what that dependent ratio is. Because if healthcare is $12,000 per employee per year at a ratio of 2.0, if your ratio is 2.4, that's a $14,000 cost per employee. So that's a $2,000 load inside of your plan. So it's something you definitely want to be aware of. Yeah. The other thing to consider, too, and we've looked at this, and not every health plan will be in this situation, but before you just decide to put in a spousal surcharge, you just want to understand how many spouses are you actually insuring? And do we want to message the whole company if our spouse to employee ratio is already quite low? And so maybe we we look at something else to do in this particular year, and that's a future consideration. So just because it's a, something that's being done doesn't mean that it's a right fit for your organization. We want to make sure that it makes perfect sense. Yeah, and if this makes your stomach queasy listening to this, then I will tell you that as we talk to other employers, there's a large percentage of the workforce that's very aware of this. So what Ann brought up is excellent. Even, even if you're not going to execute it, what we would always encourage is that you're talking about it because there will be a day when you have to implement a spousal surcharge. Yeah. And talking about it, not just amongst your leadership team, but talking about it when you talk to and engage your workforce. You can use it as an information, what's happening in the industry, what trends are out there so that they're aware of it when it, when it finally does have to come into your workforce. Now, the third type of surcharge is um, surcharges that are really executed to engage the workforce in wellness, well-being, or population health management. Uh, and these have probably been around for about the last three years and picking up um, quite a bit of mo uh, momentum. Anne showed me a group today. She had data analytics and reporting on a group of hers that has negative trend and has been for the last how many years? Yeah, they've had an outcomes-based program for about the last seven years, and they've got the best-looking trend out there. It's on a downward slope. <laughs> I love looking at that report. So some of the things, so examples, so, so what do you mean by outcomes-based healthcare? So what we're saying is, look, we're going to ask you to do some things. I'm a big believer in telling the workforce, hey, if you're engaged in your health, I'm going to be engaged in your health. I'm going to pay more. I'm going to invest more. If you're not engaged, um, you're just going to pay more. It's as simple as that. But outcomes-based, what we would measure inside the program, and a lot of employers are doing this, but it is obviously biometrics. So biometrics that are housed in a silo, not by belly button, not by name, so the, so the employer can actually address disease states that exist inside that employer. Disease management strategies, especially for the big five, you know, pulmonary, heart disease, asthma, 
Um, if you have asthma, we're going to ask you to to um, to explore this option off to the side and be engaged. Uh, pricing transparency. So if I got scheduled to take an MRI, that I would be asked to at least go out and vet or look at quality and cost measures. Uh, and then decision support pool, uh, tools. And then lastly, having a primary care physician, I'm really surprised in the number of people that navigate our healthcare system uh, without a primary care physician relationship. Right. Or don't navigate it at all, which is even worse. And the, the reason behind this type of programming, whether you do all of the things that Scott just mentioned, or some of the things, we got to start somewhere, is we're trying to identify things before they're too far gone to be treated or before the member's health is in such a state that the cost to return them to some sort of normalcy is four or five times what it could have been when something was caught at an early detection. And some of it is based on the fact that, you know, your genes are your genes. Genetics is genetics. Maybe you're predisposed. But what things can you do behaviorally to avoid those things? So we're talking about the difference between a participation-based versus an outcomes-based program. And by participation, we mean you sign up, you check a box. Outcomes-based means we're going to ask you to improve on a measurement that you have or eventually get to a measurement that we want you to be at. And so, so did you get better, did you get worse, or did you get the same? Right. And I think what's important for a lot of people to understand, I mean, everyone's to blame the government. They want to blame the insurance industry, hospitals, doctors. I mean, everyone's got their finger out pointing it one direction or another. But at the end of the day... Um, this is our responsibility. We created this disease state, and I'm a big believer in the fact that we can change it. Right. And I think, you know, this is – I'm not sure that we put this out here before, but we'll put it out here now. Um, Scott did a TED Talk a couple of years ago here in Dayton. We'll put the link out on healthierbirthdays.com and talked about – it's 13 minutes. You should watch it. Um, how health is an inside job and how it's personal and how every single person has to own their own um, place in in their health care. And this is what employers are trying to get their employees to do. Um, at the same time, you're trying to run your business. And so how do these two things come together? What's the intersection of those? How much time and effort and energy do you put into this? And at some point, I think what we're saying is you've got to hold your employees accountable, just like you would to do their job every day when they come in. You've got to hold them accountable to take care of their own health. And if they aren't going to, then you need to share in the costs appropriately. And so that's that's what we're talking about here. And, and the, the place this comes from is we want to offer great benefits and great health care, and we want everyone to be healthy. Yeah, and I think there's a, there's a great book out um, called Nudge, which is really the purpose of a surcharge, is how do we nudge behavioral change? People want to change. And my dad has always said, if you think change is hard, try, try changing yourself. And I really believe that. And one of the things that employees don't like, and I don't like it as an employee, is when they feel like they're threatened or it's mandated. But at the end of the day, when we talk about uh, our organizations perpetuating forward, it's, it's about productivity. And it goes beyond just productivity of supplies and material and services that we offer. It goes into productivity as, as people, as moms and dads and men and women. And employers that put their hands around this and, and, and attack this from a productivity level, not from just a workforce development issue, but goes way beyond that, can experience what Ann's clients experienced over the last three or four years, which is negative trend.
Yeah. And so I think one one quick thing I want to go back on and say, um, on average, we're seeing a spousal surcharge around $1,100 a year. Um, when you're thinking about that, or if you are, it just needs to be enough to get someone to choose their own plan versus versus come on yours. And right? a new strategy is a charge per belly button. Yeah. So I have five kids. I don't have five. I have two. Let's I was just like, say, oh my God, where'd the other three five. come from? <laughs> we have five. You have three. That They're discussing uh, dependent contributions based on the number of belly buttons on the plan. Right. And so that that's something to consider. And then in an outcomes-based health management program, we're seeing the average around $400 a year, although I've seen other studies saying upwards of $600 a year to actually get the engagement that people are looking, looking for. And then all in combined, um, again, another study showing us that if it's not at least 750 for things combined together, people are not likely to engage at the level that you need them to in order to have meaningful change, either with the people or inside your plan or both. Well, we hope this was helpful because our, our role as consultants and advisors and having well in excess of 20 years experience in this business is to expose this to employers to help them understand that our role is to put fences up around their plan. So the purpose of surcharges is obviously to nudge people for behavior change, to minimize risk, and that also if there's risk that's transferable, that we can transfer that risk. But at the end of the day, outcomes-based healthcare hopefully creates a more productive worker and a more productive citizen. Check us out at healthierbirthdays.com, Scott at healthierbirthdays.com, or Anne at healthierbirthdays.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Thanks for listening and opening your mind. If you're interested in learning more, you can reach us at scott at healthierbirthdays.com. Or Ann at healthierbirthdays.com. We hope you'll join us next time on on Side Side Effects. Effects.